What's up, Moto Buddies? Mike here from Taco Moto Co. What is the Taco Touch? It's the best service in the industry. Virtually 24-7 tech support via email or text. And it's like having a dirt bike doctor on call every day of the year, helping you fix your bike or recommend parts or setups for you. If you've ever received an order from us, you know that the Taco Touch extends to our fulfillment and our orders come with the coolest stickers that you've ever had, uh, buying parts from anybody before, and a handful of root beer barrel candies. Um, all of our Taco Moto Co. branded components come with a no questions asked lifetime warranty, and we'll even extend out the warranty of other manufacturers, OEM, and aftermarket parts where we can, sometimes for life. We test and tune endlessly and exhaustively and obsessively. We're trying to destroy everything that we can before you get your hands on it to look for weaknesses and to improve it or to make recommendations to the manufacturer. And if it's something that doesn't uh, meet grade, then we don't offer it on the store. Everything that we carry is something that we have personally used, tested, and ridden, and raced, and knows meets the, the high taco touch demanding standard. Go out and get some adventure. In episode 76 of Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, you'll find Jimmy Lewis and his co-host, Logan Tyler, solving problems involving the recluse clutches, fuel injector issues, and future motorcycle technology. Keep listening, and you also get some free riding tips. They'll talk about torque wrenches, explain what flameouts are, and by the way, if you're in, if you're interested, Jimmy wants someone other than himself to be his hype man. So keep on listening, and you might figure out more on that job description. Live. From Pahrump, this is Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. This is your motorcycle show where we get to talk about dirt bikes and dirt bike-related products. Right, Logan? Yes. Who's this brought to you by? KTM. And, uh, oh. well, wait, you're running a little hot. The voice is a little hot tonight. Are you going to read it off your computer? Yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah, you haven't memorized this one yet. So one of the challenges I gave Logan um, was to uh, to rewrite the KTM read. <laughs> Uh, totally unapproved. I haven't even heard it yet, but he says it. He says it's good. Uh, we're sponsored by KTM Logan. Let it rip. Over the years, KTM has built a, a ready to race mentality, and oh, mess that up a bit. But has built a reputation as a fierce competitor on the racetracks around the world. KTM is the world's leading high-performance motorcycle manufacturer, with North American headquarters based in Marietta, California. The brand's remarkable global success is reflected in every product it develops and every move it makes. Sounds like you just did a little cut and paste. I can't tell the difference between those two. We're going to have to throw that out to the jury. Okay. Yeah. George? Yeah, George. Is that, <laughs> we're going to have to add some creativity to that, or I, I'm not really sure. So we're going to go straight into the questions. We've got Mason Klein, um, who's, uh, who's um, he asks, why do I suck at doing technical stuff now that I bought a recluse that from my knowledge was supposed to make me a better rider uh, and he says this is kind of a joke question uh, <laughs> it's also very serious as my clutch only works when I pull it all the way in it's a 2020 KTM 450 with a recluse auto clutch the fancy kind I think that's the uh, core EXP so you replace everything in there um, I think they call it no clutch override. So if you figured out that they call it no clutch override, what did it say in the manual that uh, <laughs> that that you've done wrong in assembling that or putting it in there? Because I know what you're talking about. 
the 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 benefits of the core exp and it's not it's it's way more beneficial on bikes that don't have a hydraulic clutch because there's a lot more parts that go into making this work is that your clutch works almost identical to a stock clutch except it has that auto clutch function in it when you need it so it it comes down to a setup issue so i would definitely go back in uh, mason and look exactly at what the manual is telling you to do as far as troubleshooting i'm guessing that your free play gain which is also very clearly explained in almost every uh, recluse manual and stuff is set properly a lot of times um, when the clutch heats up or after a first couple cycles and stuff that needs to be readjusted as the clutch breaks in and um, and you might find that in if you did the fancy one like the core exp comes with all the plates and stuff hopefully those plates were brand new when you put them all in because once you have any sort of warping in your recluse clutch, by the way, recluse is a sponsor of this show and uh, they help us out and I run them all the time and I never have this problem <laughs> that he's talking about because <laughs> I assemble them properly. <laughs> um, if you get any sort of warping in there from excessive heat and stuff, there's, it just, the clutch no longer works. Just like a normal clutch, it, it's going to drag when it when you don't want it to, which means it's going to feel like it keeps going. It won't completely disengage. So if there's any warping in there, um, uh, it's not going to allow it to disengage properly and freely. So, but the problem is um, the technical stuff that has to do with a balance and traction, and uh, we talked about this earlier. <laughs> so um, work on that. Don't worry about the clutch because if if the clutch is doing what it's supposed to do. You shouldn't have to touch it, even when you're doing those really technical things um, at your level. Now, when you want to do more technical things, when you're ready for that, then you start needing to pump the clutch and do other stuff. And there is a point where, depending on what you're really wanting to do, where the recluse could become a disadvantage for uh, doing extreme enduro. And just to let you know, um, I had my best finish ever in the... Um, uh, King of the Motos this year, which is kind of a gnarly race, and uh, I used a recluse in it, so um, if that's any consolation, and I used it by choice, and uh, it made it easier for me, and so, and the other day when I broke my finger, because you know, because you were out there riding with me, I was able to ride for the next three days uh, with a broken finger because I had a recluse clutch, because <laughs> I never had to touch it, so question answered, I hope, uh, sound good, Logan, is that a yes. good, good answer, um, Marshall Bird, uh, says Jimmy, can you go over the basics of bike setups that will optimize handling while trail riding slower to mid speed up rocky climbs, loose scree and rocks of various sizes? Any general setup or riding techniques are welcome, but specifically, I have to click the see more button while standing and maintaining good balance and staying light on the bars. I can do. No dab ride up a rocky hill climb 8 out of 10 times, but the front end deflects more than I like. Bike is a 350XC. Rider weighs 165 pounds with no gear. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Uh, Marshall, it sounds like you need to put a recluse clutch in your bike and then set it up better than Mason did, and then you just ride ride it up those hills. Right? Yes. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that that um, could help. Um, so I'm willing to bet so i'm going to go straight to the i always the easiest thing to do is just blame the rider uh because you've got a good bike so it definitely can't be the bike especially since it's a ktm um uh you I, i'm guessing that you 
are a little bit out of balance some way, shape or form. And, and, um, when you are riding, doing these more technical things, you have to practice them quite a bit and practice not going into the old hanging onto the handlebars and, and, you know, staying, you know, like I said, you've got, you've got the technique, you can do the no dab riding, you know, up the hill and everything. But it's it's making it ten out of ten times, and a lot of times that just comes with practice. It's getting comfortable doing that, and whatever starts going wrong, you have to kind of break it down and analyze it and see what the problem is, and you start finding that maybe you weren't really, you know, standing up and light on your, you know, or standing up on your foot pegs and light on your handlebars. You might notice that as you started going on the hill, and especially as the hills start getting steeper and steeper, it's harder and harder to stay quote balanced on the foot pegs with your feet. Um, so it's a it's practice uh more more than anything um but and then bike setup i don't think uh bike setups that will optimize the handling while trail riding up rocky climbs you know once then once you start doing this you're, you're losing you're losing traction and i'll tell you what the number one thing that i find um when I ride with guys, and this also comes down to the clutch, is they they don't trust the torque of the motorcycle. They won't allow the torque to kind of to kind of dig in and let the tire kind of bite and do work. And especially on places where there's, you know, like you talk loose rocky climb, they're spinning. And so what's happening is your tires con- the the constant is the spinning, but then it's spinning so fast that every once in a while it finds something that really grabs, and so a tire is going from let's say. 20 miles an hour down to three or five the speed that you're moving and it really hooks up and it it really jerks the bike and you as a rider aren't ready for it where they could have been going up the hill only spinning the tire maybe 10 miles an hour so when it does hook up it doesn't it's not such a big um yeah big uh, snap or whatever so i a lot of times it's it's and, and, and in all honesty this is where a recluse clutch will not only educate a lot of riders because everybody's so afraid of stalling that they're they're just slipping the clutch and running these higher rpms all the time where if you're recluse you start learning that your bike won't stall with it so you start running lower and lower rpms and you get better and better traction and it's actually easier to ride up the hill and there's no replacement on something like this for a certain amount of momentum um i i hate to say that because some people think i just gotta gas it and you know go but you know momentum really helps it's that initial getting moving is is the difficult part on the traction situation but once you're moving you know a lot of times you know i find especially like even in sand i tell guys you know back the throttle off and that's when you're going to grab traction and accelerate everybody just keep turning the throttle farther and farther and they're spinning more and more and they not go anywhere but a lot of times you back the throttle off and that's when it grabs you know the traction in fact watch like trials riders when they go do those splatters and stuff where they rev the bike up and they 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 drop the bike down into the power you know you know it's like it's like a big loud acceleration and they're they're in a really tall gear and a higher rpm because they need this lunge but then the bike bogs itself not really bogs because they're still pretty but they're they're coming down into the traction they're they know they're going to, those guys know they're going to stick in a traction, but when you're on a loose, rocky hill, you don't know where that one or two rocks or where the good traction is sometimes. And so if you're just shooting everything out from underneath your tire, you're not going anyplace. Uh, 
I I hope that um, I hope that works. Uh, we already have a comment from the peanut gallery. Go ahead, Bob. Uh, practice helps deal with the low RP confidence and low RPM. Yeah, I oh I said that earlier, didn't I? Oh, did? It's it straight straight away first part. Not listening. At least you're not sleeping like the last time. Yeah, you fell asleep in the show. Uh, that's how interesting it is. Uh, <laughs> but Marshall, hopefully those um, techniques is all over the places they were uh, help. Um, yeah, uh, just but even just practicing even on decent traction, like trust the torque of the motorcycle, let it bog down, learn to find out where it really is going to stall, and you'll find out it's a lot lower than you thought it was. And and you know practice. I think there's a video on Jimmy Lewis Off Road um, YouTube page someplace that talks about that particular thing. Uh, rusty nail, um, torque wrench or tighten by feel. <laughs> it depends on how good the torque wrench that you had installed in your wrist is. I've always tightened bolts by feel with few exceptions, like head bolts. The specs call for torque values on drain plugs. I think pulling out a torque wrench to put it on a drain plug is a recipe for disaster. What do you think? Um, I have rarely, if ever, used one on the drain plug. I just tighten it tight, um, and, and but I know what it's tight is. It probably... If you have a feel for it and you and, and you know this, this is like this is like talking to somebody about, hey, do you know which direction north is? And three quarters of people don't know. They don't care. They don't know. It doesn't even matter to them. But some people, like you say, tighten it, and they're going to pull out a 17, 20-inch breaker bar and just crank on that sucker because they're going to tighten it, and they will snap stuff off, strip stuff out. Um, and there's other people that will just kind of like finger tighten, and they think that's good. Uh, but they just don't know. So... I would say, I mean, I do I do a ton of stuff. I'll do fork pinch clamps by hand, by feel, because I know where to grab it on the wrench to turn at a certain pressure, and, and I'm pretty close. I mean, like, I check myself with a torque wrench all the time. Just, actually, usually it's 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 part of a bet. They're like, don't you need a torque wrench for that? And I go, I got one on my wrist. And then so I go, go get the torque wrench, set it to 12 foot-pounds, come out and check it. And, like, sure enough, it's right on. And I'm like, I'll back it off, too, because it'll click the other way. You know, just I want to make sure it's not it's not over. I promise you it's not over tor- tight and it's pretty damn close and it'll be like right within the range. But it's practice, just like anything we talk about here. It's what I do. Um, and sometimes I don't feel that confident. Uh, so uh, cylinder head bolts, cylinder bolts, uh, for the most part, I will use a torque wrench on just because I don't know. Maybe it's just a it's just a, I spent so much money on the stuff I just put inside this thing. I'm really going to check it kind of thing and it's a good it's a good way to know hey this is 18 foot pounds click you know and then then you sort of sort of know but you know if you you can play around with the torque wrench too you can hold it closer to the to the not on the handle part you can hold it closer and feel the difference values by getting that certain amount of leverage so these are you know things you can do but if you don't know torque can't feel it you should probably use a torque wrench if you have a good feel for it and you're successful um but Here's you talk about the drain plug, and and I've heard about people stripping out their drain plugs using the proper torque. It's generally because that bolt is a high traffic bolt; it's in and out a lot. And maybe one guy that maybe had the bike before you kind of cross threaded a little bit or did something a little wrong. Now it's the integrity isn't there, and it can't hold the torque value that uh, is expected. And then you get the torque wrench out, and I'm doing it just like the manual and slip, and then all of a sudden it's over. So um, I have heard of that stuff before, but that's why they make. Uh, Thread certs and helicoils, right, Logan? Yeah. Yeah. You ever use those? Not yet, but probably should learn how to. <laughs> okay. Um, Robert Stockton comes in with 
Um, I've swapped to an IMS tank on my 500 EXC, and I've reused the KTM fuel pump for that. I've decided to order another one for the stock tank so I can swap back and forth. That's a good idea, and I did the same thing. I've realized that the 3.2 IMS is starting to get in the way when on the local trails. Yeah, bigger tanks are definitely uh, big. Um, do you have any thoughts on aftermarket fuel kits in this fuel kits in this case? I'm looking at a Quantum from High Flow Fuel. Um, uh, Robert, I don't have any experience with the aftermarket fuel pumps on the KTM fuel ejected bikes. Uh, there's plenty of people to do, and you can go on any form, and like 60 guys will jump in and tell you all the different things uh, that they've done and used um, over the years. So I've used stock ones. I've had good luck with stock ones in all of my tanks. I have stock. Um, I've completely stocked things. Although I had a picture, I found a picture the other day in my in my archives of stuff of um, a a different fuel filter connected to a KTM fuel pump. And I don't know why, cause I don't remember doing that. Um, it was a steel, it was a, a stainless steel fuel, uh, fuel pump that goes inside the tank. And I've I said a few weeks ago that I've never installed one of those before, but I just saw a picture that I had it in my hand. So maybe I have an aftermarket, uh, fuel pump or fuel, uh, fuel filter inside of one of my tanks, but I haven't seen it. I've been looking around as I've been checking my bikes lately, and maybe it might have been somebody else's bike that they brought by and we had to pull it out and do something with it. But uh, um, I, I don't know the, the pricing on those things. Somebody just told me the other day that companies like All Balls and uh, some of the other companies are now selling uh, replacement KTM fuel pumps and some for some of the other brands as well. So uh, that could also, because the KTM setup is expensive. It's like three to five hundred dollars depending on your dealer and what kind of deals you can get on them so and i don't know what the um other ones uh cost so uh, i think it's a good idea to make it so that that tank is like a a, what a five minute switch as opposed to an hour and a half switch and uh good luck with that uh tim and maria marshall asked well, see, I went straight to Tim. It's actually Maria-Tim Marshall. <laughs> I think Tim's asking. I don't know. Maybe Maria's asking. What is your initial impression of the Beta 300 you were testing? Uh, I like it. Um, had to, uh, we took it out, shot some photos, and I was bottoming the crap out of the front forks. Like, bad. And I'm like, something's wrong. So instead of, you know, running to the keyboard and just going, ah, forks suck, I did what I'm supposed to do. I called up beta and I said, Hey, um, forks are bottoming out a lot. What's the oil height supposed to be? And by that time I had the forks off the bike and I'd measured it. It was 160 millimeters, which wasn't correct. It's supposed to be between 125 and hundred. And so as soft as it was, I went ahead and ran it up to hundred reassembled, threw it in there and hundreds too much because whole new bike, whole different bike. But yeah, I'm liking it. Um, but I will say, and you know, this, if you know me, um, I don't like anything with carburetors on them anymore. Period. Just there, there is a. I have I have converted to the fuel injection world. I like the way that fuel injected in fuel injection works, even on two strokes. And this thing is jetted really, really good. Even though it's a it's a still a little bit off. I need to go in and do a little of this or that. But um, uh, yeah, it's 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 good. I, I mean, if <laughs> I can say if that bike was fuel injected. <laughs> It would be, it, I like that it's oil injected. That's really good. Uh, and they started that by the way, they were the ones that kind of started the oil injection, uh, thing. And you you want to know, you want to know 
you know, dumb Jimmy just looking at a bike with a carburetor, the very first tank of gas I poured into it, premix. Yeah, what well, I just did my my brain just completely forgot that there was an oil injector in there. I had to drain it back out. <laughs> had more gas for my YZ125 and uh, put some straight gas back in it. But uh, no, bike's good. Um, I, it's been a couple years since I've ridden the Beta. They've definitely changed uh, some stuff. We were talking earlier about it's counterbalanced now. Um, I don't I don't know if it's as completely. I, it's been a little while since I've ridden the, the KTM. Um, I don't know if it's completely as smooth. I've been riding a lot of four stroke stuff lately. Um, bigger bikes and so there is a little bit of a that two-stroke vibration but that doesn't bother me but there's a little bit there but I, it's not nearly as bad as the old one i remember the old ones um, were noticeable and uh overall good but we're kind of in the middle of it so i will uh we'll sure for sure um, put a test up and stuff when we get everything done and then mark daniels asks what is your opinion about the Kickstarter add-on kit for the 2017 to 2019 KTM 500 EXCF? Um, uh, they're probably pretty good if you if you have a dead battery, but other than that, I don't know why you need it. <laughs> so, I um, actually my my KTM 500s, both of them right now have dead batteries because uh, I plugged in like you know, rally navigation equipment that onto a USB device and GPS units that were plugged directly to the battery and forgot to disconnect everything before I loaded them up in the truck. So, uh, it was good that, my, well, one of them, I was able to get kickstarted. The other one was beyond kickstarting because the battery was, you know, probably seven or eight years old, um, to begin with. So, um, it, it at some point it's good, but I carry around one of those jumpstart kits, those jumpers, and those work just as good as a kickstarter. 99% of the time. Um, and they weigh half, and I can use it on any motorcycle. It doesn't just stick on the one one bike, so I move it <laughs> move it around. So uh, that's what I think. Uh, but, I, I mean, if you're worried about it, uh, you can put it on there, and I don't think it's going to hurt anything. I, I mean, if, if, if the weight bothers you and that kind of stuff, then, uh, yeah, go for it. Um, Logan. What else is new? What did you learn today? Somebody said you learned something today. Yes. I learned how to change the oil in a Scott's stabilizer. You did? Yes. Did you watch a video on the on the internet? Yeah. Who made it? Uh, JLR Off-Road. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I did, I did that a long time ago. Seven years. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It works though, doesn't it? Yeah. Who made you do it? Dad made you do it? Why'd you have to rebuild one? Or you didn't do it? What? You didn't do it. Or did you do one? Did you, did you rebuild one? I did one? one. Oh, you did one? Yes. What one did you need to do? It's just been on the shelf for 10 years. Hmm. Yeah. So, oil wasn't leaking or nothing. Okay. It was a, so it was just an old an old one. Did it make a difference? Could you tell? Like by Haven't gotten it on yet. Oh, you haven't yeah. got it on? Yeah. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's hard to tell. When, I mean, usually the worst thing that happens to them is they, is they get a little bit of air in them and then they kind of cavitate. And that's why we use that system where we do it under, you know, submerged Yeah. in, in the oil. So, uh, yeah. Um, well, good. Glad you learned that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm glad my teaching is, is my my legacy on the YouTubes is lasting a long time. Uh, go ahead, Bob. Uh, the worst thing that happens is if you're not mounted properly, the vein inside will rub against the bottom or the top. And then it will leak past the vein and it'll stop working. Right. So 
he's talking about improper uh, mounting of a stabilizer where basically if you're putting pressure on the 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 arm on the on the damper uh it 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 like anything it it, it twists it and wears the it wears the seals also it'll cause yeah. it'll cause because on that on that you know it's a it pisses on the center another thing that i've also seen on a few bikes um believe it or not on a on a factory bike i saw last year was a steering damper mounted off center from the steering stem yeah yeah on and and they just didn't they just didn't know i'm like are you kidding me yeah yeah but anyhow um but you know when you're mounting the damper that's why they're really particular about the mount kits and how they have to be set up with the certain heights and all stuff it's like it needs to be right over the center of the steering stem or it's gonna it's gonna arc differently than the center and that will wear that'll wear things out as well and it won't function properly especially where it really needs to is in the center in the straight line so um okay uh let's dive into the uh comments yeah janie's not here because they opened the bars back up in prompt and we're we're back we're we're back in business yeah she checked in on the thing yeah um so i i missed opening night at ramiro's i'm sure my 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 uh my privilege at the bar stool has been revoked even though i'm on the wall for the tequila club uh good to see everybody out there um let's see logan you got to throw a yo in there every once in a while you'll be good yeah yo yeah yeah yo yeah <laughs> he's doing good at being quiet he's not interrupting the host um got it thanks excellent product promotion says my mason klein um it was just honest uh ask me about something uh ask me about something that i don't like <laughs> We'll see, we'll see where that goes. Uh, ask me about products that don't advertise in here, and then I'll just I'll just rake them across. One eye, Logan? Is that what I do? Maybe. Maybe? Almost. Bo says, sticky tires and low PSI. What does that work That's on? for the... Yeah, up the hill. Oh. Um, uh, man, that's overrated. That's, that's, I mean, in all honesty, it's... The, the the low tire pressure and sticky tires on loose rocks uh, doesn't really make a, the 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 amount of pressure you have to go down lower to make a significant difference is what are you looking at the piston yeah is is detrimental to any other riding you'll be doing if you're only going to ride up that soft rocky hill climb go ahead lower it down you'll get an advantage but the fact that you get up the top of the hill and you start going around some turns yeah it's you know control the clutch uh thanks for the hill riding tips jimmy i've only just this year started trying to ride with light grip on the bars it's tough when climbing hills <laughs> yes it is i still have to practice i make sure to keep focus on it and getting some te- seat time well peg time that is yeah hey that's peg time yeah none of that seat time stuff get a trials bike brian fullerton's out there He's from uh, from a Cherby's, and Ramiro's bar is checking in. Um, Michael Barrett says, high flow fuel pumps installed in 2010 Sierra 450 and 2018 FE501, no issues. And I will tell you that uh, Michael Barrett works on a lot of bikes and uh, has a lot of knowledge, so I would uh, trust that advice. Um, uh Jeff Slavens has the best saying, "You torque alcoholics." Um, 
torque you it says i'm reading it verbatim you torque alcoholics i don't know what that means yeah, yeah. uh let's see and um English, i i just read them like a call i just call it like a thing um and chris route chris real almost got it there uh chimed in another expert we love having uh on the show says fuel pumps will have a shorter life as we get different fuels so um that is true <laughs> i i and 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 uh, even today i was noticing that like one of my newer bikes and i said god i've heard that the it makes a little bit different noise than all my other my other bikes as far as the fuel pump goes i haven't had a failure yet but it's like you know one of the newer ones, and it's only been run on the new you know you know whatever the newest fuels are. So we'll see what um, happen. Uh, Mitch Orb says I went to Electron on a YZ250. TPI can suck it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? You're entitled to your opinion. Um, I I didn't. I mean, I've just I've not been a fan of the the Electron carburetor in any application. Because it was actually too smooth. It was really, really... Uh, I didn't have the throttle response that I wanted. It was almost like going one step beyond fuel injection uh, in certain ways. So, um, let's see. Uh, now we're now we're getting into it. Everyone asks Jeff the torque specs. Just tell him he doesn't know. He doesn't do it by... He does it by feel, and he always throws that out. I don't know the torque for alcoholics. I don't know what the torque for alcoholics is. Twi it's like twisting the top off is what it is. <laughs> That's torque. Um, some guys put a second battery in for a starter and a one-way circuit. If you have a lot running, a fan, a light, a fuel pump, not a lot is going to charge the battery up unless higher RPM on some models. Like that's Mitch again. That must be his YZ250 that doesn't even have an electric starter, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, just poking the bear. Um, Kickstart weight is not the issue. It's being in BFE with a dead battery, just pondering the idea. So here's the other thing. So there is the problem when a battery does something funny, breaks a cell, uh, lights on fire. We've seen the, we've all seen the videos, different things. So all of a sudden you're out in the middle of nowhere, bike with no Kickstarter. Um. You know, I I would I was one of the pioneers of riding bikes with uh, no kickstarters. Did have I told you the story? I um I had the 2008 Husaberg 570, and it was one of the first bikes with no kickstarters. So how long did I get? Seven seven minutes. That's it. Oh, seven thirty one. Oh, it's, it's almost thirty minutes. Husaberg 570, which by the way makes so much power. You like if you think something's going wrong with the battery, you just twist the throttle and you can coast all the way home. <laughs> it's known. It's a known fact. But uh, I was never. I was never afraid uh, because I didn't really have any battery issues. And then, and then at that point, I started carrying jumper cables. Like I made these small kind of jumper cables, and I always figured if something went wrong, I could jump it with one of my buddies that has you know, a good battery and, or if something really went wrong with the battery and by God, it would take like half the day to switch the battery up, but I could take their battery and then they could kickstart their, their bike and get home. But that's only happened like one time that I, that I know over the Husaberg let, let me down out in the trail. It didn't let me down. It got me home, but, um, 
so the carrying that carrying the the jump starter pack will get you out if something for some reason the battery goes dead you start it 50 times and it finally goes dead the jump starter pack will fix that problem and then you're now you're aware that hey i have a battery issue i need to do something about it the second thing is is i carry also carry that that um a capacitor because a lot of ktms will not kickstart even with the kickstarter if there's if the battery isn't if the battery is sucking the power, it will not allow the it'll not allow the fuel pump to run, and therefore your bike will not kickstart. It it doesn't sometimes it doesn't spark, but a lot of times the fuel pump doesn't run. So I carry a capacitor around with me. So if I really hit the fan, I would bolt the capacitor in place of the battery, use the jumper pack to start it, and then then it will it'll keep running. It'll run on only the capacitor. And uh, Bob has raised his hand. Go ahead. So that jumper pack you carry has got to weigh less than a kickstarter. The the jumper pack is is small. It's tiny, and it and it'll start my truck two or three times. It's it's good. So that's that's my um that's my uh, go to. Um, let's see. Uh, any other see any other questions there? My son Logan would like to know what bike Logan is currently riding. Twenty nineteen KTM SX one twenty five. Now, how come you ride SX bike out in the desert? Why don't you have XC? I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> they weren't on sale. <laughs> they weren't on, there goes dad, wasn't on sale, yeah. Uh, I think they just wanted to hear you talk. You're, you're, you didn't, you didn't, throw, you, they want, you need to throw a couple of yo's in there. Yo, whatever, the, you know, you know how like, uh, anybody ever remember, or, you know, maybe it's public enemy, you know, you know what Flavor Flav used to do? Yeah. Okay. That's your homework assignment. You need to do a little, I mean, probably not very good. It is some cultural, um, uh, yeah. thing. You get, you gotta, ch- you gotta check out what flavor Flav, how he got started. Cause you know, he had a reality TV show and he's the guy that wore the big clock. Am I way out of your league here? Way out. Way out. Okay. Yeah. So he's like a two stroke flavor Flav is like a two stroke. He's out, but he kind of comes back in He gets popular. Right. So you need to see what, so when Chuck D would just be laying down these mean raps, like flavor flavor coming and go yeah d he'd throw that stuff out you know so yeah he, uh, hype man that's what that's yeah we need to, he, he, yeah we're going to work you into this uh and bo says jimmy what are your thoughts on electron carbs <laughs> like i just told you they're they're too smooth for me um i've ridden them on four or five different bikes and i i never got a chance to really play in tune with them um i the the the, the the distributor, importer, manufacturer, and stuff kind of changed. There was Electron Carb and Smart Carb, and it kind of went around. And and I rode some of them in the very, very early days. We had them on Al Baker's Baja 650 Baja Commander, XR6, whatever it was. And uh, then they had a big problem with float bowl cavitation and bouncing around and bogging. Um but they seem to have gotten a new life on the two-strokes because there's a lot of people that like them for fuel efficiency and stuff, and I understand they're good at that. I haven't done my testing myself, but some people I know have, and they say they get better fuel efficiency. Every time I've ridden, they tend to um, they tend to just be really flat and very smooth. So that's the that's what I have. You know what I just noticed is like that thing's not recording. I hope that one's doing a good job. Yeah. <laughs> I turned it on. I tried. It was going earlier. 
see what happens. Uh, it's because I just got a message from Gabe. Remember Gabe? Remember that guy used yeah. to sit over there? He says we have a really bad echo tonight on my end. Yeah, I think he's poking the bear. He's poking poking the bear. <laughs> uh, uh, what was that? No, I turn that one off every time when I don't want to listen to you. Yeah, we'd shut it down. I got it. I got a little spin knob. Yeah. Um, do you want to hear what we, we hear when... <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I can play with the sound controls. Uh, let's, go to, let's go to the questions that are on your form. Oh, there's two really long ones that I want to read because they're, they're pretty involved. But um, what? Do, no, no, not right off the bat. There's a couple good ones right off the top, I think. Uh, the Kirk Caselli? Yeah. Oh, we got to talk about the Kirk Caselli uh, ride day that they're going to do at um, Glen Helen Raceway on December, what is it, 5th? Isn't it Fox Raceway? Yep, yep. It's okay. at Paula Fox Raceway. Yeah. Um, just in case you're in the Southern California area, you want to go ride, meet some cool pro riders, um, support a great foundation. Um, the Kirk Caselli uh, Foundation is having their ride day. So uh, mark your calendars for December 5th. And uh wanted to kind of put that little bit of news out there for sure. Um, what, did, uh, what was the first question? Ron... Amazes me that what what no uh-huh. we all say the Dang names it. we say the names because I mean there's lots of Rons out there but this is this one Ron Ron Sterner okay amazes me that engineers engineer year after year after year continue to improve ten years from now we'll be saying that 2020 was a dog of a bike I can't imagine what bikes would be in 2030 or 2040 what other te- technology can they improve on the next 10 to 15 years so this is a a cool interesting question because so when i was at dirt rider magazine i remember we used to do like these every five years we do like what's coming in the future and we would sit around and just be baffled and so when i saw this question and i think he was talking about uh, one of our ktm 300 videos on youtube i said huh what what's next? I mean, that's like instantly where my head went because I'm sitting there thinking I, I need to go pull up that old issue where we did kind of like, what is the future? Cause I think at that time fuel injection was just coming along. I think we might've talked a little bit about um, the possibility of some electronic suspension um, stuff coming into play potentially. Uh, I know we said, yeah, f- you know, fuel injection, fuel injection is, is going to take over. Uh, and and then just a lot the use of a lot of um uh more advanced materials and because we, we we went around the industry and asked people that were doing development and stuff to you know tell us whatever they could so there was, was the the advancement in materials the advancement in rapid prototyping and printing and then mostly stuff that you don't actually see would be the use of computers to do a lot of the testing that used to be done by humans so they can do they can do structural analysis and 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 you know they can they can take they can take something and build it and have a have test riders go out and ride like two different versions get an idea of what they do they already knew what they did in the lab and what they did in the structural analysis they take it out ride it kind of confirm it and then they can homogenize between those two parts and figure the the right the right direction so it was the use of a lot of computer technology to to, to uh, go farther with that. I, I I think that's just going to continue. You know, it's just they're gonna they're just gonna get better and better at kind of 
being able to do a lot of testing that takes it can be done quicker. Um, but you know what the actual um, I still think some form of of uh, I don't know some some form of more electronically controlled suspension. You're seeing it on the street side. They're able to do this with with uh, street bikes and stuff. Um, you know where where it can realize that the stroke speed is really high and it could you know turn the compression up essentially very quickly to slow it down you know mid stroke and then um now they're doing it mechanically they're getting shocks to rebound quicker they have the ktm has like their track system that literally it kind of works like an air shock does and it you know i'm surprised that we haven't seen more air suspension uh we did talk about that back then uh that kind of came and went for the most part although um there's still some pretty successful uh brands with air forks and you're never going to you know, and then and then lighter weight, dropping weight by better materials. I think that's where stuff is going to go. And, and it, it's funny because you almost have to look like five or ten years out to see any real change or direction and change. Um, with motocross bikes, and we talked about this a lot in our KX450 test that we just uh, did. Um, we talked about the, the transition of the Kawasaki going to a front-end turning bike, which is kind of the direction that most motocross bikes and stuff have have gone over the past i want to say it's been a good 10 years 10 12 years they've been kind of going this direction now everybody's there and it was back when bikes used to if they turned they also would head shake you know that 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 was like bikes were unstable and they would get head shake and you didn't want a bike that had any head shake at all so they they were stayed away from making a bike that turned because those two things didn't go hand in hand you if you turned really well you probably would have head shake and not stability and now that with the better chassis and stuff they're learning so much um getting better so i think you're just going to see small small i don't think there's anything going to be any revolutionary other than i think i wouldn't be surprised if somebody has Actually, I know somebody has something pretty revolutionary in the fuel injection and the two-stroke thing. Um, that's like it's, it's a bomb. <laughs> it's it's another. It's like it's like wow already. <laughs> so um, pretty cool. Oh, Bob is raising his hand again. You sure you don't want to sit on the side of the table and have the camera point at you? Go ahead. Do you, do you think the rear front suspension and the four-bar link will come in? The the weird front suspensions and stuff, not in the motorcycle. No, I just don't I don't see it because you, you see people trying it all the time, but it, the fork is effective for the weight that it that it makes. Yeah, it's it's less expensive, less parts, less expensive. Um it does a pretty good job at doing what it's doing and it's relatively safe with lower maintenance. So um Yes. Okay, next uh what was the next question? Robert M. Okay. How about reliability and longevity on these YZ450s? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm doing hype man for you with computers in them. Yeah. Who's talking about that? <laughs> the longevity of bikes with computers in them. So bikes have had computers in them since the early '90s, and then when they went to electronic ignitions, that would be the first sort of computer. Very simple computer. I don't even know in computer terms what that was you know how many chips or bits or dips or bing ding ones and zeros that's <laughs> i don't know um but it, it they've been get they've been getting more and more and i don't think there's really any uh 
any concern reliability concerns based on computers it, it is weird when all of a sudden you know your quote ecu goes out but i mean how often does that really happen it's just so rare um and you think about how many computers are in your car now and how many you know how many you're walking around with a <laughs> tiny computer that could you know fly the space shuttle in your hand these days and you look at what we do to our phones you know how dirty and and bad conditions we put those in a lot of times the the computer on the motorcycle is in a better better position i'm more worried about the wires that are connecting the computers <laughs> i mean those are a lot more vulnerable uh but i don't see any any durability um, and I don't know where you're going to get any sort of motorcycle that doesn't have some sort of a computer on it, even if you're buying used these days. So, um, yeah, even the XR400, which was the apocalypse bike, <laughs> has a electronic ignition inside of it. Bob, you raised your hand again. The KTM uses a CAN bus system. Yep. It's real sensitive to low voltage, so you got to make sure you have good connections. Okay. Yeah. Uh yeah, that's why when people have their ground wire come loose, <laughs> they have they have issues in those things. But uh, oh, what do we got? Oh, okay, that's the long, the long question. Yeah. Oh boy, uh, I have a question about flameouts, and this is uh, um, Bob loves that flameouts. Yeah, flameouts. So uh, basically, it sounds like his bike is stalling. You may have addressed this in an early episode, but I ask again anyways. My bike is a 2015 KTM 3X, 3, 350EXCF with a recluse on the side. I've wondered if this might contribute a small amount to the problem. The bike also flames out with both stock and aftermarket header pipes and exhausts. Stock seems slightly less to flame out, and then it's going to switch back and forth and does not seem to make a huge difference. Several examples of when, how a flame out may occur on this particular 350. While negotiating a slow near full lock turn, both feet on the pegs, sometimes I may need a very small blip of throttle to catch maintain my balance. However, sometimes this small blip will produce a flame out and force a dab with my inset foot. The resulting dab may be a big deal on flatter ground when this happens on harder technical situations. More than once, I have flamed out with no reachable ground on the dab side and it has been semi-catastrophic. Okay. While doing the double blip technique to get over mid-sized log, say up to about 2.5 feet high, laying across the trail, the bike sometimes flames out on the second blip. Sometimes the bike winds up balanced on the skid pate with one foot on the log. I can simply restart the engine and push over. Other times the bike stops with the rear wheel about halfway up the log placing said log far behind me to place a foot on result in a slow motion tip over. The last example is an unexpected flame out while simply coasting down a longer hill or section of single track with zero throttle applied. Perhaps this one happens when I subconsciously blip the throttle just a tiny bit. This flame out is usually no big deal and I just restart on the fly. The things that I've tried that have not resolved the flameout issue for the specific bike. Adjusted the TPS using the TPS tool and digital voltometer. So I'm hoping that your TPS is set to the stock. This is Jimmy. Your TPS is set to the stock value, not something else that you learned on the internet um, to make your bike work better. A fuel rail from best dual sport bikes. Uh, 
you're you, you, I think you're talking about that one that's straight instead of 90 degrees so that it flows better. <laughs> you're talking about infinitesimal amount of fuel going in your bike when your bike's doing the flame out. I don't think that has anything to do with it other than maybe it flows so much fuel it blows right past all that electronics and dumps it in the motor and causes it to stall. But I don't think so. I installed the JD FI tuner and he watched my video. Um, okay, overall, I ride slowly, rarely clash, crash, and truly like modest to slightly harder technical riding. But in the end, I have lost most of my confidence to really push ride this bike in slow speed technical situation. Uh, one additional tech, technical question. Would a stock or new 2020 350 EXE flame out in similar situations? So... Um, uh, don't it, Bob? Just Bob loves the word flame out. What? Uh, uh, uh can we can we discuss? Uh, you want to you want to go into the flame out issue? Oil burners flame out, gas burners flame out, and gas turbines flame out. Okay, say so, 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 piston engines stall. Piston engines stall. Right. Oil burners flame out. Yeah, and gas burners flame out, and gas turbines flame. Gas turbines flame out. Okay. They have continuous flames, and the flames go out. Right. The piston engine just stalls. Stalls. Okay. So uh, Bob doesn't like it when you call it a flame out. He's, it's, it's, uh, yeah, he, he's thinking you're learning from another moto journalist. Um, it's a, like I said, it's a stall. <coughs> and you have to determine whether it's a lean or rich condition. And at low, low RPMs, it's very difficult for um, a lot of riders to determine what that necessarily is. So I would play with the um the fuel injection tuner i would play with the idle speed the idle setting on the jd tuner and i would also play with the low range which is the green so there's there's a there's a i don't remember the colors off the top of my head i should there's a jd tuner floating around up in the picture in the background um you play play with it make it really rich in one setting and then go really lean see if it changes cuz you know how to simulate it with your with your throttle blip to cause your stall um and and so go go you know test one one circuit at a time and see if it gets better or worse with each of them and then you will you will probably be able to find um a happy setting if you have an if your tps is off everything's out the window uh if and and a lot of times when your bike starts becoming hard to start or your bike starts running funny, that's one of the first things that I go to these days is check the TPS, make sure it's set to stock thing. If you have one of the aftermarket ECUs, which I've tested a lot of now, this condition seems like it gets amplified on almost every one. And it's the reason that I stick with I've been sticking with the stock ECUs on my bikes for the most part. I, I actually had pretty good luck with the Vortex lately, so um, more on that later. Um, th those bikes seem like they're tuned to run on a dyno and not doing the kind of riding that you were talking about. And they don't function very well at those RPMs. And then do not try to override with the internal programming of the ECU with a piggyback tuner, by the way. I learned that uh, less than the hard way because I had a piggyback tuner on top of both a Get and a Vortex, and they do not like it at all, period. Um, uh, so took it off and just ran just the ECU, but I was never as happy with the low-end throttle response. And the caveat, the key to this whole question is you said at the beginning that you have a recluse clutch on your bike. 
that could also be the problem to this as well. And it depends on when your recluse is starting to engage because if, and, and we're talking about low enough RPM where if that recluse starts to bite at the wrong, at literally the wrong time in the stroke, it can be put enough of a load on the motor to where it's just not going to turn over another time. There's not enough inertia in the motor. And, and, you know, you imagine, you know, it's the, it's the, the, you got the piston going up, up and down twice. If it goes up right after, you know, when it's starting to, you know, do the, do the exhaust stroke and it, it all of a sudden it loads, it's got to go that stroke and a half before it's going to get power again. That's a lot of time in the engine's thing, and a lot of things can also change in the combustion chamber. So maybe if it even fires once, by the second time it comes around, you know, fourth time it comes around to fire again, there could be a big change inside of there, and that that little bit off in fueling, you know, the, the big change in what the fueling is, and I don't know how quick those computers are. I think they're pretty good at it, but it could be enough to mess everything up. So sometimes having your recluse properly tuned so that it doesn't engage too hard it doesn't engage too early um uh it doesn't engage too late at the wrong way uh is all pretty important so you but you've got to you've got to separate those two problems and and decide is it is it the clutch causing this that would mean that it's happening at a at a very certain you know the way that it's engaging uh or is it is it the fueling that's causing this? Two separate things to to think about. But with the fueling, if you have the JD tuner, richen it up, lean it out. Did it change it? Richen it up, lean it out in the in the pump squirt setting. That's I think the red blue, in the green setting, which I think is the low RPM, and then also whatever the idle fueling setting is. And I bet you you can get most of it if it if it is in fact uh, due to the fueling issue. You can get it out with that thing for sure. So. Sound like I answered his question right? That's I think pretty so. pretty detailed, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I make this stuff up. Yeah, I make it up. It's you should I'm I'm on the internet and the advice is free, so you're getting what you're paying for. What's the next one? You can you can do the next one. Uh Ross Medocal. <laughs> Ross what? Medoc. Medocky. Medi me me dick. Me decky, me decky, yo. To me. Yeah. Me, okay. Yeah. To you. You read it. That's it. Uh, what? That's all he said. To me. Wow. I should have read the. Um. Hi. No. It's hi, Jimmy. I watched your video on the JD jetting, and I was hoping to just run a question by you, since you seem to have a ton of experience tuning with the JD jetting product. I have a 2020 Husky 501S. I added a recluse clutch. He's buying all my stuff. 4.4 FMF, JD jetting. Remove the reeds. Why'd you do that? Um, I have the jetting setting on open exhaust intake mod, which is, uh, he gives me the settings. I was out on my first ride around on the streets and rode for miles to hour. I was a stoplight, and I think in fourth gear, being lazy, when I went to go, the bike died. <laughs> okay. I, I, I responded back to him. What do you think? What do you think I told him? Don't be in fourth gear. Right. So what would be what would I say? Getting into a better gear. Yeah, well, right. More appropriate. Yeah, you're getting there. Shift, downshift. Downshift. Right. Okay. So <laughs> if there's one thing that you can do to make your recluse experience bad, keep doing the fourth gear starts. <laughs> Cuz it will do it. It's it's it'll do it way better than you can do it, 
but you're not going to have a clutch after very long. You will smoke the clutch because it. You have to slip. Imagine you wouldn't do that in your Yugo or your Kia or your Hyundai. You wouldn't put it in fourth gear because those are probably the only cars you can get with a standard transmission anymore. Click it into fourth gear and try to clutch your way out of that stop. Your recluse will do that for you. Don't do that. So, um, <laughs> since I was not neutral, I would need to increase the yellow and red. Oh, okay, yeah, so the bike died. So, since I was not neutral, would I need to increase the yellow or red to increase the idle? No, downshift. <laughs> yeah. Um, before these bikes, the bike never stalled that I can remember, and the recluse should prohibit the stalling from what I understand. Uh-huh. So, I have a little concern the bike is not tuned correctly. Uh-uh. No, it's you're asking a lot. And you think about the same thing we were just talking about in the last question. That recluse at that RPM, when it's starting to pick up, there's such a long time between those power pulses and stuff. You're asking a lot of the engine management system to put the right fuel mixture in for it could be under a heavy load and then that recluse like that heavy load comes in and that recluse really realizes it within pretty much a half of a rotation of that clutch basket and it's open it up and all of a sudden it's a free load and it dumps in a squirt of fuel as if it was a big heavy load but it's not and then it does what well, you know i'm not an engine but i would be freaking confused so um back to the question uh the clutch issue clutch issue the clutch issue with the recluse i'm having to fix him here is that you would have to find a balance between idle speed and clutch engagement personally i've fought that for years you must be in first when starting out on the road because there's absolutely no give on the tires on the pavement. Um, it, it it doesn't matter whether you're getting full traction or slipping. I mean, that's really not part of this thing. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on here, and you're asking about like the certain things. If you if you feel like it has to do with the the, the jetting setting, and so the other thing I told him is is, and that's why I kind of made that funny noise when he said he took the reeds out. The reed valves on the intake systems on the KTM's and Husqvarna's were put in there to reduce the sound. So for everybody, it's an emissions device, and I've got to take it out and throw it out because I'm going to get more power. Well, I will tell you what, that reed valve. In that situation you just described, that's where that thing works really, really good. Is those big throttle openings at low RPMs where you're trying to, where you're really torquing the bike, that's where that reed valve actually functions because that pulse wave that usually would go all the way back and squirt fuel, mix fuel up and go all different directions is now is blocked and it's almost acting like a supercharger. So you took your supercharger for your low RPM riding out that gives your bike more torque and you took it and you threw it out because somebody on the internet said it was better. I guarantee you if you're wide open on that 501, that reed valve is causing some restriction. But what you're talking about is probably where you're riding, eh, I'd say 97% of the time is in that range where that reed valve really, really does better stuff, makes the bike pull harder, be smoother, torquey, quieter. And you took it out, so... That is also part of the problem. And another thing to consider is on that bike, which is a 2020 Husky, the tuner, a lot of times when you put the piggyback tuner on top of that uh, ECU and stuff, it's trying to figure out. It's it's actually making adjustments, and it's you need a dongle or something uh, on the uh, – I'm not – I haven't 
fully dove into that yet, but it's it's uh, difficult. It's uh, um, because it's compensating. It's con- the fuel injection system is constantly compensating for it, and it's taking readings off the the O2 sensor. It's closed loop. So it's always taking readings, and when you richen it up, it says, nope, I don't want to be richer. So it on the back side of that piggyback tuner leans it out, and you're having an internal fight in there. So that could also be another big uh, problem with that. Question, Bob. Does the O2 sensor work above idle? Yes. Oh, it does? The whole time. Oh, it does. Yeah, it runs. From what I've been been told, it works the whole time. So... um, yeah, and so another thing is uh, somebody was asking about how our um, how our KTM 390 is doing. It's a, oh, it's a different question. It's a little bit. Uh, Adam Nicewonger asked how our KTM 350 was doing, and I said I need foot pegs for it. I need some foot pegs that are flat, and he turned me on to a guy called Bo- Bosley's Pegs, and he's on Facebook, so I reached out to him, and I haven't heard back. So that's how that's going. So we're going to start with uh, is that one right there. Okay. We're going to talk about jetting now. I hate carburetors. Wait, I said that out loud again? Yeah. Yeah. We got a jet year 125. I yeah. remember I told you that a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, I should have come by. I'm good with the jets. Yeah. I- yeah. Hype man. <laughs> I have read your reviews as well as long-term tests on the YZ250X. I'm riding a 2019 uh, Love the Bike. I have been com- com- competing in the District 37 AMA Deserts race this year. I have been having some trouble with jetting of the bike. I live in Victorville area and race in Lucerne Valley, Tagle Wash, and other high desert locations. Tagle Wash. Tagle Wash. Pounded many a hoop in Teagle Wash. <laughs> I'm running Motoil 800 at 40 to 1 with premium pump fuel, FMF turbine core 2 silencer spark arrester. Stock jetting was 178.50 clip on 2. I put 178.48 clip on 2. And when the filter is clean, the bike seems to run great. While at races in the middle of the desert race, when the filter gets super dirty, it starts popping and hostile in the middle throttle. Hesitate. Hesitate. Hesitate in the middle throttle? Yes. You probably wrote hostile. I don't remember. Almost it. <laughs> like it's running lean. So I got really confused on this, and I actually went back and forth with emails with... Justin Witcher. Justin Witcher. Went back and forth. And he says, so he's telling me, his bike runs great when it's cool, cool, cool and the air filter's clean and going, and he races a desert race, and in the middle end of the desert race, and his filter's dirty, it starts running funny. And he says it pops and it's lean which is very counterintuitive because when your filter gets dirty, generally your bike gets rich. So I asked him, I said, hey, do you think there's any chance it could be the crank seals? You know, that's that would we could give you some extra air and, and you know, maybe when the filter starts getting, and I, I had to really check myself on this, but the filter starts getting 
plug, but I'm thinking, man, it had to be really dirty to actually cause extra suction to come from the crank seals to amplify the, the, the richening effect of a dirty filter to, to make a wrench. But then I started thinking about it more and we went back and forth and he kept asking about jetting specs and, and he's going to change his main and his, his main jet and his pilot jet. And I'm like, no, you're talking about a mid throttle like thing. That's the, that's the needle. And oftentimes it's not just the position. It's the taper. The needle really makes the, the effect there. Then you can do all different kinds of combinations and whatnot. But I just don't think, and I could never get him to say that it was rich. He kept, you know, kind of going and he, he did a plug. He also, like I said, he did a plug reading. You can't do a plug reading on a plug you've been riding around with. I mean, it, it's. For, I mean, you can look at it and go, yeah, it looks like it's burning clean, but like the plug might look really nice and clean, but the outside perimeter of the head might be dirty. You know, it, it's like to do a plug reading, you literally put a brand new plug in on a bike that's already warmed up. You start it up and you take it and you, and you go ride it in the range that you want to do the plug reading on it. And then you shut it down immediately and then you pull the plug out and read it. It's And then that you cannot use that plug anymore for plug reads in my world and that's how i was taught by people who are very good at it so um uh so i'm kind of hesitant to go along with the it being i can't see how it would get leaner when the filter would get dirty just doesn't doesn't make sense uh yes bob what about if it's a leaky pipe a leaky pipe like an yeah no i I don't think it well it's two-stroke a two-stroke, and no, I, I don't think. I, I mean, it's not that common for a Yamaha to have that kind of a, a leak at the. But I, I wonder if it's actually because you will get a pop. You know, like lean pops are generally caused by when there's a when there's a big burst of air getting in, like you know, crank seals. Like that, like you would know when your crank seals were going out in your two-stroke when it would start popping a lot. You know, because that was just it was air was getting in there, or crank seals and or gaskets or reeds reed gaskets. A different all those things they're in they're these things called two strokes yeah um so i can't i can't actually see it being so i, t- I said hey here's one thing you can do go go when when it when it does this go ride it and turn the choke on and see if it gets better or worse you know just be a quick way to check it um to see if it gets better or worse and if if you were to just if it was running bad and you took the filter out and put the filter in a new filter in and it got better it's definitely rich i i just can't see it being lean so i'm kind of kind of confused and if it is rich then maybe run a um a filter skin and then you'd be able to just pop that off and then if it got better you'd know for sure it was rich and i i'm willing to go with that and i wouldn't go he asked about some different jetting kits and all this other stuff i would figure out whether it's rich and if it, if it somehow is being lean which i can't really see i just don't know where that air is coming in from so I don't see how it can get leaner. Yes. Very few people know how to read a plug. Uh, very few people. I know that. I. Way down in the bottom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not just look at this thing. Is it white at the right. tip and and around? There's there's three different places where you look at a plug to read it for different things, and and I learned from a couple guys that were really really good at it, and uh, and what I learned is I can feel way better the jetting and it's quicker than they could read the plug because like i would come back and tell them okay yeah this is right and they pull it out and they go yeah it's perfect and i come back and i go it's a little bit rich and they pull the plug out and go yeah this is a little rich 
or I'd pull a plug out and then they, you know, I'd say it's lean. They pull out and say it's lean. <laughs> so I could feel it on the bike. Uh, but I had to practice. I had to, I had to like, I had to ride, you know, I did stuff like made it. So like, you know, I had holes in the airbox and I tape them up and cover them and go ride them and peel the tape off. And all of a sudden the bike would, you know, it was enough to be restrictive and I could feel the difference between a little bit rich and perfect. Take your perfect bike, plug the airbox up a little bit, and then you get to feel rich. You know, I never really liked playing around with lean, but I got a chance to do it when I had an unlimited parts budget. And when somebody told me their oil was like really, really good and the bike would never seize, I got to spend a lot of time feeling what lean felt like. <laughs> so and it, it, it feels like a new KTM TPI bike is what it feels like. We never run our bikes that lean. And, uh, and it was amazing that they, that, that the new bikes run like that, but there's a reason for that. Yes, Bob. Yes. Oh, you have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you hear all the time. Like it's almost like when they go into overev. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's like wide open. They. It's when they shift. Like when you shift, it just makes a pow, pow. Yeah. You used to hear it all the day, all the time at the motocross races back back in the the days when the wheels were made of wood and they. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um. Hey. Hey. Do you know what a you know what a flame out is, Logan? I found out what a flameout is. On the Urban Dictionary? Yeah. Yeah. You know what it is? Flameout is a passionate but brief relationship, usually accompanied by drama, tears, and emotional swings of roller coaster proportions, Bob. That's what a flameout is. So all you and your different kinds of engines and stuff doesn't matter. That's what a flameout is. Yeah. Uh, you can. Um, let's see. And uh, Jeff Becknick says he's had a few of those flameouts. <laughs> so and george wants to know if it's winter fuel on justin's bike oh hey wait a minute what if his fuel is boiling what george thank you and so what if his fuel is boiling you know later on in the race that would definitely lean it out that would for sure lean it out and we are still having winter fuel because i looked in a gas can the other day that was actively boiling <laughs> in the back of my truck and I'm like just going, geez, it's still here. So uh, it was gas that I just got recently, and I was kind of bummed. I thought maybe by now we would have uh, have changed those. So uh, yeah, uh, hope. Uh, what would Justin? Yeah, Justin, I want to get. I want you to get to the bottom of that for us because I you're you're con, you're confusing me a little bit. So what's the yo? What's the next question? Next question. You gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> um. He's gonna quit on me, isn't he? <laughs> educational segmental oh educational segment is that what yeah. it said? is that his name yeah <laughs> hey your friends kate and eric garrett want to know the chain keeps stretching on every ride when they uh, set it up at the factory spec on a, a YZ85. Can I safely let the slack be more than spec to help prevent stretching? So they're setting their, they're doing their chain to spec and they feel like that's causing the chain stretch. Um, what do you think? All that I remember on my 85, my YZ85 was, it was okay, but I remember earlier we had some problems when the chain was brand new or was yeah so stock chains on some of the some of the bikes all bikes 
a lot. Well, not really all bikes, but especially the motocross bikes, and especially some of the smaller ones, like the mini bikes and the 125s and stuff. A lot of them have pretty cheap stock chains. And I don't necessarily think that it's the, that the adjustment on the stock adjustment is tight enough to cause it to stretch. I think it's just going to stretch no matter what. Um, but if you want to run it on the looser side of the factory spec, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to hurt anything. And sometimes, you know, until that bike's what, 10, 10 hours, it's going to just keep stretching and stre- it's, it really stretches a lot. And then they find this happy place. So they kind of stop stretching for a while and then they just, then, then they go to junk the stock you know, the, the cheaper, the cheaper chains. So, um, if it's bothering you, you could probably replace it with a higher grade chain. And I think you'll have a little bit better luck. But, um, if you know, the way you can tell if you're really interested in it is, is set it to the, the stock spec. And it's funny because chain adjustment is difficult because, you know, they kind of tell you where to, you know, adjust, you know, where to measure the adjustment. If you don't do it at exactly the right spot, you can be off, and maybe you are, you know, running it just on a little bit on the t- tight side. But if you ever have the shock off, you can set it, you can set your chain spec and then run the swing arm through its stroke while you have the thing off. And when it gets, you know, at a at a perpendicular at a straight line from the counter shaft to the swing arm pivot to the axle, at that point, if that chain is more than tight, you're probably a little bit too tight on the on the spectrum, you know. So that's it. That's the point where the the wheel is the farthest place away from this counter shaft sprocket, and that's where the chain would be at its at its tightest. And it should actually be a little bit loose because you've always got to kind of account for a little bit of dirt being in the chain uh, against the sprocket, um, just different stuff like that. So, uh, um, but I think that you know the slack being a little bit more probably would not hurt uh, that much. Oh, hey, we, Mason come in with a good one. His vent line is plugged, leaning the bike out. Good one. Uh, that's that's a good one. See, this, this is what's cool about having, like, other people out there that have – we've all had these experiences before, you know. Um, so, yeah, he's talking about your gas tank. Uh, Justin, your gas tank vent line might be a little bit plugged, and it's causing a suction inside the tank, and therefore also leaning – could be leaning out your bike uh, in the middle of the second loop while your filter's getting dirty. So, yeah, there there are there are options. Um, okay, next one. Um, Kimmy Ryko's in. Oh, yeah. Showing me the motorbike I'm looking for. That's a, a great intro. What was the guy's name that said that? Educational Semi-Mental. Educational Semi-Mental <laughs> compared Mark Bermcannon to Kimmy Raikkonen. So, you know, Mike's Mark's pretty soft-spoken in, in his videos. He speaks kind of slow. So he compared him to Kimi Raikkonen, which I think is a is a high compliment. Kimi don't say much. Oh, he does. <laughs> you don't, don't watch F one. No, I do. I do watch. He does. Oh, he, they have to bleep him. Yeah, they bleep him all the time. But I mean, it just is. It, like, but well, yeah, in the car he's different. But when he when he's doing public speaking stuff, or they you know they make him talk, he doesn't talk. Right. Like at the press conference, it's like yeah, he couldn't be bothered. Oh, Kimi, he likes tequila. Oh, yeah. Really? He should come over. I got some. Yeah. Speaking of that, um, read the next question. Um, Mike Albinzi. Hi, all. Um, is this bike a hair too small for a 6'2", 220-pound intermediate rider? And he's talking about the CRF 250L. 50L. Yes. And what do you think? I'm going to go with yes. 
Yeah, a guy like that could be easily handle like a KTM 500, you'd think. Uh-huh. You know what I like to tell people about that? They're <laughs> as much as I tell I, I try to talk people down off of big adventure bikes and I'm talking, you know, he's intermediate, he said? Yeah. I'm trying to talk an, you know, an intermediate up off of a small bike as well. Hey, the throttle goes both ways. You know, you can turn the throttle on that on the KTM 500 um like a quarter and then it's almost like being wide open on that bike and then the whole rest of the bike is is uh is able to kind of keep up with your with your ability level as you as you improve but i i i mean you can ride it around that honda it you can ride around you can probably be happy with it but you might be happy with something a little bit um a little bit bigger for you um i think you think what do you think yeah you think so okay you know you know you know i have to exercise that kind of um throttle control when i'm on my husaberg Yes. Yeah, because if I turn it more than half throttle, it's like, yeah. Okay, next. Uh, on the Tenere, y- Yoga Master Ramdas. Yeah, Yoga Master what? Ram. Ramdas. Ram. Sounds sounds good to me. What are they on about? We are still in 2020 on the side of the short people. Yam 700. Yamaha seven hundred is my favorite bike. No need fancy gizmos. Either one of those big heavy bikes. I think he's meditating too much. I know. What are we going on about in that video? Yeah. At least he didn't want to see five minute video of just my wife, right? <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what's the next one? Um, the the full test on the Tenere seven hundred. Greg Reynolds. To all the riders to say the T7 is undampened, let me say this. Jimmy Lewis is one of the best adventure bike riders in the world. He placed third in the Dakar Rally on the Baxter Twin Boxer Twin BMW. If we say the bike is not too soft for adventure-style riding, I'm saying it isn't. Stop thinking of these bikes as big enduro bikes. They're not. Get a KTM 500 EXC for that. Right. Yeah. What? Oh, I only put that in there because he he complimented me. It sounds like you. Sounds like me. Get a KTM 500. Hey Logan, what what is KTM? Powered by Distinct Ready to Race Mentality. Right. Where are they based? Marietta, California. Do you ride one? Yes. Okay. And they're the leading street and. Off-road, off-road motorcycle. motorcycle manufacturer. Okay, I think those are the keys to that whole read, right? Yeah. Okay. I think you got to you got to you got to come in like Flavor Flav. You got to go, "Yo, I'm Logan and I ride a KTM," and then you got to somehow figure out how to put all that stuff, all that information we just talked about into the into the read next week. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. George will be happy. <laughs> um Troy Hicks goes, "Why did KTM make big bikes like jigsaw puzzles?" Such plastic nightmares. You know what, Troy? I agree with you. <laughs> Have you ever tried to get a KTM subframe out of the sub the plastic, like the fender, like? And they've they've changed in, in last. They've I think they made some improvements and some steps backwards, but like extracting the the fender side panel airbox thing out of the subframe or whatever, and some of the fits of the 
the fits of the side panels going into the you know like the it's just it's tricky it's it's more of it's i think with the like the future we were talking about all that computer modeling and everything like that it works great in the computer it fits it looks so good on the showroom floor and then you start going to like you know get the two little tabs in the bottom while you're trying to get the one in along the seat and hey this isn't just ktm i so i i go i have the beta you know and i, and I go i'm gonna maybe the beta got this airbox cover right it says it has a little thing that says pull and beta's always been good they have push button seat removal by the way push button seat removal my Husterberg has a pull string for the seat but beta push button seat removal and uh which is cool and i thought well beta if they've got that maybe they can do this airbox thing better and it, it came off and i'm like oh yeah maybe and it looks like they have a ktm style filter it's held in by pins it's really nice and then I spent like four minutes trying to get all the six tabs aligned to slide the cover back on there. And I and it's like one of those things, if that was my bike, I would be able to do it right every time. But when it's the first time, I I tend to struggle with it. Do you, do you struggle getting your airbox cover on your bike? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See? So, so uh, uh, t- Troy, you're right. <laughs> we agree. That's a, it's a tricky, tricky stuff. Next. Um, Mike M, I told my wife reviews like this, with drones, videos, actual footage, with comments by the writer, are the reason motorcycle magazines are fading away fast. Good job to you too. I am a subscriber now. Really great work. He told his wife that. Yes. She did. She tell him he should go start a motorcycle magazine. <laughs> <laughs> after that <laughs> uh you know why you don't see that because <laughs> nobody's getting paid to do that kind of stuff uh wait what am I, what are we doing we're starting a digital magazine yeah oh boy yeah long road we'll see how it goes we're here full steam we got big plans things are happening um yeah it's it's a it's it's a lot of work and and unfortunately none of the none of the guys most of the most of the st- the content you're seeing produced is being done by people who do it because they love it, which is a good and a, a bad thing. Because when if you love it, you you just do it because you don't care whether you're any good at it or you have any basis or understanding of the you know you don't have as much experience as you know guys that used to get paid to do it. And and uh, so it's interesting where the information is coming from. And I spend a lot of my time uh, answering questions that I find on a you know that that somebody else who got a hundred thousand views on their video said something ridiculous, and I'm like, God, that doesn't make sense. You know, kind of like the, kind of like the YZ250 getting the filter dirty and going lean. That doesn't make sense, but I have to think about it. And with my experience, and then the collective people that I know, like the people in the chat room, we poke, poke around and we kind of come to some different options or answers or ideas on what it might be, but. Yeah, it's getting tricky. I um, we're we're just gonna see how they can make this thing work out so we can do more videos like that. Um, yeah. Um, the, on the KTM four fifty, Michael D. Brilliant layout of the new bike by you two. I'm not a motocrosser, but I am appreciated how you guys went into detail to extract the best out of this bike. I'm sure many will applaud you for your efforts. Well done. See, that's what you get for. We didn't get paid to do that. <laughs> we just do. We will pretty soon. Um, 
So he's talking about the Kawasaki, the 2021 Kawasaki KX450 podcast slash video that we did. Um, and I wanted to address, he says he's not a motocrosser. And this is funny because we had this discussion about like, if you guys are going to do this digital magazine, you're going to, you're going to cover adventure bikes and motocross bikes. How can those two things be in the same, you know, publication? The adventure guy doesn't care about motocross bikes. Motocross guy doesn't care about adventure bikes. And I'm like, no, there's really good motocross magazines out there and there's a lot of them. So that's covered. There's a lot of good adventure bikes covered out there. There's a lot of them, but like, I think a lot of us are interested in everything. And let's just say I'm, I'm, I sit in the middle. I'm just, let's just call me an off-road guy. You know, I'm interested in who did what at the motocross races, the supercross races. I'm interested in the bikes that are the, the technology that's driving that end of the performance. Motocross bikes are the performance end. Just look at the, let's just say Honda Sierra 450L. They model it off their motocross bike. Okay. And you go over to the adventure side and you're looking at adventure bikes that, that are, you know, built for comfort and all this stuff. And, and like, why am I interested in that? Well, look where I can ride that thing. Look at the places I can go. And it has this, it has this lineage in adventure bikes kind of draw tradition from, you know, Dakar and rally racing. And there's, a, there's, there's, there's a lot of crossover and a lot of blending in that. And so I think you have to kind of take that for, for, for what it's worth. So I think an adventure guy, you know, he may stumble across watching, you know, he doesn't care about motocross, but he stumbles across watching a supercross on TV and it's, huh. And then it's like, maybe he's interested in like, what, what are those bikes like? Because it's a whole, it's, it's, it's dirt bikes. Yeah. Erica. Motorcycles are like shoes. You need one for every occasion. Right. Yeah. So you know, and, and we're, we're curious and we're interested and we want to learn about the, the different, you know, about the different, uh, you know, genres of the, of the sport. And there's, you're going to learn about technology from one thing to the other thing. And, and, uh, shoot, just not too long ago, Ricky Carmichael went adventure bike riding or, you know, sp- or kind of like a touring riding on, on triumphs and stuff. And it's like, it progresses and, and, you know, dirt bike tests will not go into the street bike realm. We're not going to cross over into like street bikes, but a lot of the adventure bikes are really kind of street bikes to extent, but we put knobby tires on them. We take them out in the dirt and we go, go places to do them. But there's a, you know, so even if you're a motocross guy, you might end up on an adventure bike, maybe not tomorrow, you know, and we're going to do mini bikes. We're going to do kids bikes and stuff like that. Cause I want to bring kids up and teach them the, the right way to, to work on their bikes and, and, to learn what the big bikes are doing. Cause when I was a kid, you, you know, I read the motorcycle magazines and I wanted to ride a Mako. And now I'm grooming a bunch of kids to grow up and want to ride a Husaberg. And just like me and not being able to ride a Mako, you will never be able to ride a Husaberg cause they'll all be in museums by the time or some old fart like me will own them and they're vintage bikes. And you're a scared to talk to me and I, I might not let you ride it, but you just don't because there's just too much power for you. They're they're limiting they're limiting that kind of power. It's not even allowed to sell anymore. Um. So back to the questions. Um. Rider S Oregon. Um. I like your test. Good and honest. What tires do you like better than the stock KX tires? Oh, I was gonna. I went off and I started talking about myself again. <laughs> What tires do I like? <laughs> I pipe right up. Um, 
and I'm going to talk about the off-road capability because we started talking about like why we, you know, he he's not a, he's not a motocross guy, but he's he's reading the motocross test. Uh, specifically to the tire question, I would really like to try on that tire two different tires: the Pirelli um, uh, Mid Soft and the the Michelin. Uh, uh, what's the current? What's the Michelin called? So what I have in my YZ125 right now. Starcross? Starcross. Yeah, Starcross 5, the mediums. Uh, I, you know, and, and then Bridgestone also has some pretty good tires. And I, I have not spent, you know, even though Kenda helps me out with my schools and stuff, I've not spent a ton of time on some of the new Kenda. Um, I think it's the Washougal, uh, the with the tires that they're more for the back east guys and stuff. Uh and then I hear Maxis is actually start. You know, they've been testing with Jeremy McGrath. There's a lot of different tires out there, but right away off the top of my head, I just know that I personally would feel more comfortable, get better traction with the either the Michelin or the Pirelli tire, just based on my testing experience on all different kinds of bikes. Uh, and then, so the question about was like he was an off road guy interested in the KX450, and Kawasaki has that bike coming out as a KX450X. When they announced it, it was called the KX450XC, but they changed it. Now they're calling it just the KX450X and then the KX250X, uh, which hopefully we'll be riding soon. Um, I was so slow in getting that KX450 test up, they're probably not going to invite me to the damn intro. But then again, uh, we had to. We were working at the pace we were getting paid. <laughs> so, uh, but um, I think, is there another? There's one more question about that. Did he? Did somebody else ask? Yes. There's go ahead. What was that uh, one? Gregory Miller, great post. My son got his first bike, Kawasaki 250 KLX, and he loves it. So here's so KLX 250. That's an entry level bike. That's more of a entry level slash dual sport bike. Not even in the same realm. And you, you, again, you have somebody that's paying attention to this video. That's not the. It's not like a hardcore motocrosser, but he's interested. I mean, his eyes are open. His that kid. I guarantee you that kid is either going to want a KX450 next or, well, he'll want a Husaberg. It's just like, and I, I can't stop that. But, you know, a KTM 500, it, you know, he, he's in that he's in that zone where, he, you know, he's got, he's, he's in there, he's been bitten by the bug. If he really likes that bike, you know, he's probably going to be an Eli Tomac fan. He's going he's gonna to watch the races, and then he's going to go, what wonder what it's like to get out in the track, and he'll realize that, hey, my bike probably isn't the right tool for this. What do, what you know? What I do, and that's the infectious nature of this uh, this sport we participate in. It's pretty cool. Yes. When we go into Sandy Valley, Logan, I'm going to show you how to rip a 125 around that track. Yep. Yeah. Hey, actually, oh no, I'm going to be. I go to Glen Helen. Hey, you know what I get to do tomorrow? You know what I get to do tomorrow? Go test a brand new Honda 450. Yeah. That's where you're supposed to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. I get to go to Glen Helen tomorrow. I got to get up really early to go to Glen Helen. Ride a brand new bike. Actually, I probably just spent spent all my time shooting photos of Trevor on the brand new bike, but I'll ride it. I think my finger's good enough. Try not to poke anything with it. Uh, next. On the previous Tech Talk, Talking Tuesday, Doug Derby said, until my Husaberg 570 is together, I only know how much power the 390 and 450 make. My 690 needs a bigger tank, though. Indeed, Jimmy. Dream on. Yeah, just keep dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> Next. Um, 
Airgun Walla. Walla. Much appreciated review, bro. Fantastic coverage and brilliant ex ex explanation. Can you do one for Royal Enfleet Continental GT 650? Don't, don't we get asked that a lot? I think so. The Royal Enfield? <laughs> um, I don't have the axe. I don't, I, I mean, uh, sure. You have them, have their marketing manager get a hold. Hey, how did your, uh, how did your conversation with them? Um, what was their name? Angel go. So yeah. Did you, did you work out the program, the marketing program with the, remember we talked about it last week? Sure. Sure. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, yeah, you you work on Royal Enfield. See if you can get one of those test bikes here. And just, just, you know, put it on your schedule. You know, uh-huh. Tie it into the program. <laughs> uh, Chris Brawley says, The clutch on my CRF230F engages, disengages fully at the last 5% of the travel, literally, as in the farthest position from the bar, making learning the clutch tough for new riders, let alone I to ride it. No, I don't want to get a recluse for it. <laughs> <laughs> what causes how could make the clutch engagement disengagement more gradual so uh chris on your bike you'll notice that there's an adjust a couple different adjustments there's there's the one at the lever up at the lever there's the there's the two nuts that adjust the cable um and then and then that will essentially adjust some of the free play and so by you know it depends on where the adjustment is there and also down on the side of the engine there's probably, I think they're 12 millimeter bolts that, that go around the cable housing and you can, you can adjust it down there. And so by uh, utilizing those adjustments, you can change the position of where that, that is going to adjust. So it's, it's actually pretty simple. We do this all the time. You see us do this all the time in the schools. Yeah. yeah. You can, you can change the position of where it's adjusting. If for some reason you're out of adjustment in either of those two positions, you can use the other adjustment. So in other words, you want them basically to both be in the middle and then it would be the perfect position, but you use them to adjust it. But if you're running out of adjustment at one end or the other, that's generally a sign that your clutch is worn out. You know, you've worn the clutch out and you're, you're running out of cable or on the other side of that, your cable is worn out and you, you don't have the adjustment to fix that. But just because it's that last little percentage there, you can, so if it was, I think you're talking about it being way out from the handlebars, which is what he says, so it's really far out there. So at that point, you'd want to take that adjustment up at the lever and then loosen it up. So you would un- loosen up the, the lock nut and screw the adjuster in, which would make the cable quote, a little bit looser and allow the lever to kind of come back in. The manufacturers have like a standard setting based on how much free play they want in there, but that can really be used. Don't worry about that so much as use it to make it at the right position for your hands. I have very small hands, so I may need to make sure my clutch engages at the very, um, you know, kind of at the other end of the spectrum, really close to the handlebars. So it's not bumping into my knuckle, but it's also, you know, not so far out that I have to open my hand up to reach for it. Um, and the other thing is, if you don't have any free play in your clutch cable, like in other words, your clutch play cable is always tight, that is going to cause your clutch, for the most part, to slip all the time. So, and it depends on whether it's a push pull push or a pull clutch, but um, kind of be uh, be aware of that you never want to have a really tight uh, clutch cable. 
And uh, thanks for throwing in. It's a 2013. Uh, that'll work on every year of motorcycle, any time that has a cable clutch. Good advice. <laughs> okay, any more? Uh, two left. Okay. Less Death 69. Less Death 69. Didn't he write in last time? He does almost every show. Okay. Yeah. Um, Hana announced the 2021 CRF 450L has fuel injected and ECU changes. Did you think Honda is trying to address low-speed throttle response and flame-out compliance? I didn't know that he was having a tur turbulent relationship with his bike where he was having... Um, uh, what what was it again? <laughs> uh, turbulent... Uh, relations like and tears? roller coaster, roller coaster um, emotions accompanied by drama and tears. Yeah, I didn't know you're having that with your motorcycle, <laughs> but I don't think Hana considered your feelings when they adjusted the ECU and the throttle settings. But I don't know the answer to that question. I'm going to ask them tomorrow when I'm out there. I'm going to ask the uh, the media guys and likely one of the guys who rode the bike with the new adjusted settings. So. Um, I'll get that answer for you. Uh, remind me next week. Um, Last question, right? DBT racks. DBT racks thirty-three. DBT really like our dirt bike test? Like DBT racks? Dirt bike tracks, maybe. Dirt bike tracks. Let me see. <laughs> yeah, DBR tracks. I don't know, something like that. Okay. Uh, seven twenty p and trash audio. That's that is 2020, yo. We have VR. We you can't even say that word. This. I'll read this question, Logan. Give this back to me. Uh, 720p and trash audio. This is 2020, and then he says a bad word. We have VR porn, and we ain't watching this. Another bad word. Um, DB tracks Z2033. Uh, we have kids working on this show and answering your uh, your questions. So don't use those words, number one. Uh, and if you want to buy us better equipment, we'll upload it in 1080. But we do, don't we? Yes. Yeah, so quit talking trash on us. It's three months ago anyways. So he doesn't, he doesn't care. So quit picking on us. Um, you're getting what you're paying for, which is a lot more than what you're paying for. And uh, Bob, uh, go ahead. How do you think that works in a job interview? His his the way he talks. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was gonna I was gonna do something funny here, but I don't think I can. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not. That's not it's not got good job interview voice. But he's talking to the people that are giving him free content and 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 uh, helping him out. I mean, he took the time to watch it. <laughs> he noticed the video quality is bad. Like, what were you watching? You should close your eyes. The video is horrible. You have to look at me. Logan's pretty cute. <laughs> He's like his phone's like blowing up, and when he comes back in with this new this new um, flavor flav thing, you know, <laughs> when you come back in with that, it's gonna it's gonna be popping over here, yo, yo. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. We have any other questions in the in the in the room in the room? Uh, Brent says, "Thanks, Jimmy. Don't need to ride it. I don't. It's a two thousand. Oh, I don't need to ride it. Or he doesn't need to ride it." He says he has a 2020 KTM 250 XCW also. What? He's got a lot of bikes. What are you doing with that CRF 230? <laughs> you have the 2020. 
2020 250 XCW. That probably has TPI. You want to sell it? <laughs> I'm looking for a TPI bike pretty heavily right now. Uh, so any other questions? That's it. That's all I got. Wrapped it up. Uh, I'd also like to say thanks to uh, Climb. Climb makes super awesome motorcycle gear. Uh, they dropped some new fall colors, some new colorways uh, a few weeks ago. If you're thinking about it getting cold pretty soon, I know there's been some snow up in the mountains. They make awesome weatherproof gear, good mid-layers. Check their stuff out. Tell them Jimmy at Dirt Bike Test sent you. Um, who else? We talked about Recluse way too much, right? Yes. Talked about KTM way too much. Dirt Bike Test. Dirt Bike Test. Yeah, they make t-shirts. Yeah. We have a, we have, we have a t-shirt company. Yeah, Takamoto's up there. I got it. He, he put a video up. He did some mechanicing on the trail. Um, and did a really good job pulling the side cover off. Bike uh, shift prong popped off, and he did this really good job of explaining what went wrong and where it was, why the bike wouldn't shift. It got stuck in neutral. Why it wouldn't shift in a neutral? Yeah, it was KTM, and uh, and it like and put the guy into second gear because now he could use second through fourth or fifth. I think it was an XCF or whatever. And I'm going, did anybody bother to go get the part, that little metal prong that's really hard? Did, did anybody, because they didn't show that in the video, did you turn the bike over to the other, because you put the, take the clutch cover off, did you did you flip the bike over to the other side so the drain plug will not drain the oil out? Because they had to drain the coolant out to get, the, to get that cover off. And see if that thing is sitting on the magnet, because it might be in the magnet now, but when you go through a couple hoops or bumps or something like that, it'll go up in the gearbox and it will give you a big surprise. Or more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I that was the one thing I saw. So yeah. Hey Taco Mike. I, I hope you heard that. <laughs> hey, if you if you know Taco Mike, tell him tell him I was curious about the outcome of that. I didn't have a chance to send him. I think George George uh, George showed me that video. He's like, What do you think? And that's that's what I thought. Will you sell the gray t shirts with the red, white, and blue uh, standard D B D T logo? Nope. <laughs> those are those are uh, those are for the team. Those are like, you know, you know how you couldn't buy your Red Bull, your Red Bull stuff, you know? And, to, and when we're big, when we're huge, when we're really ready to, ready to sell out, and like, but I mean sell out, I mean sell out, we'll sell them. Uh, and everybody else is calling it a good night. So hey guys, thanks a lot for uh, chiming in. Thanks for a great show. Uh, with that, for uh, Logan here. Yo. Yo. Yeah. Um, this is uh, Jimmy Lewis and Dirt Bike Test. Share this with your friends. Comment. Post. Click. Do whatever you do. Buy a T-shirt, um, Amazon, all those different things you can do for us, and uh, we'll see you out on the trail. Cheers. Bye.